Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Well, joining us this week on Inside Supercars as Tony Whitlock continues his recovery. It's two of the stars of auto action and Australian motorsport media. First of all, in the left corner, royalty, Gary O'Brien. Thanks for joining us, Gary. Oh, yeah, yeah. the royalty. I'm just a lingerer. <laughs> Great to be here. Good, morning. Uh, good, good day to everyone. And in the black corner, it's Fogues. I defer to King Gary. <laughs> He's the royalty, yes. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Gary. So, Good evening, folks. What do you think we'll talk about today, eh? Hey? Hmm. I reckon we need to ask the question, should the supercar season, folks, should it continue? Of course, it, yes, it should, if it can. But that's becoming increasingly unlikely, and the odds of it continuing past Bathurst, if there is an, even is a Bathurst 1000, is almost impossible. I mean, it, it's it's a nightmare, but everything's a nightmare, you know, starting with what's happening in Victoria and how that's basically caused everything else to shut down in the world, and rightly so, to where the teams can go. And they're struggling, as we speak, to get into the Northern Territory and just to get the Darwin double-headed away. And if that doesn't happen, we've got real problems. Gary, your thoughts on should we continue? I believe firmly that we should continue, uh, particularly because you've got uh, commitments, whether they be contractual or other. Uh, the likes of Fox Sports need to fulfil their contracts with television and then the ensuing contracts with sponsors on cars and all that sort of uh, associated uh, items you've got to negotiate. If, if you don't do the season, do the teams have to pay back money to their sponsors? Um, personally, I I think we should, uh, or they should, if they can't get into Darwin, go straight to Townsville, come back to QR, maybe go to the Bend, and then finish at Bathurst. It's a long time, folks, for those people out of Victoria to be away, if you did continue right up to Bathurst. Yeah. Now, Gary's right. There's a commercial imperative to all this that means it has to continue as far as possible, but there are other constraints. You know, we just don't know day to day what's happening with border restrictions and second wave of the coronavirus going on, you know, here, there and everywhere. It's out of control in Victoria. It's concerning in the Sydney area and, you know, it's not it's not a great leap to suddenly think that southeast Queensland gets enveloped in all this. So you have to take all that into account, but as Gary said, there are commercial imperatives that mean the teams, supercars, with their broadcast ob- obligations, have to play this out as far as they can. And then, as I'm saying, that's at least until Bathurst. Bathurst the Bathurst 1000 is the jewel in the crown. It's the one thing that everyone in the country knows about. And if we get that away, it is unsatisfactorily, but it is job done. So everything has to be done 
to get several rounds done. And at the moment, we just don't know what's happening with Darwin. Transporters are on the border waiting to go across. Charter flights delayed continually. You know, we're just a couple of days away from it starting. But will it? We don't know. Well, most people, Gary, at supercars are putting on a, a very positive front and they're, they're talking it up because supercars is probably as financially uh, on the precipice as many of the teams. Well, it's just not supercars either. It's just all industry, really, that's particularly in Victoria. They're talking about shutting down factories and all, all that sort of stuff. Uh, topic, but you know, you've everyone's taken a hit, and I think um, at this stage you, you try and minimise the hit that you're going to cop. Folks, how then do we need to structure the rest of the year? Is it just everything's on the line whilst it, whilst you're locked out of where your home is? You run as many races as you can keep parts up to the car for, and just Hopefully you can get a checkered flag at Bathurst. Unfortunately, Craig, this is a crisis the likes of which in our lifetimes, in our parents' lifetimes almost, has never been experienced. There is the medical catastrophe we are facing. Beyond that, there is the economic catastrophe catastrophe that we're facing and it's it's a huge problem and we just don't know really how we're going to get through this. I mean, it's, it's all very well to be positive and I'd like to, you know, contrary to popular opinion, I'd like to be positive about this and we get through it. Supercars has done its level best, sincerely, its level best to get this thing on the road and get racing happening within the constraints that have been imposed upon them. And it's a, it's shifting sands, you know, it's every day, it's every week, there's some new problem as to where you can go and where you can't go. So, you know, the problem is it may not be insoluble, but it is just brain racking and all we're trying to do is get out of this with the least possible damage. But what will that be? You know, once we get a lead on the coronavirus, what then? You know, theoretically, in three or four months, the economy might be so devastated that the consequences of that will be far greater than the loss of life due to the COVID-19. It's it's a terrible conundrum. I, I, I don't know the answer. You know, I could give you a quick solution, but it's not one that's palatable. Well, what's what's that quick solution then? Every man for himself. <laughs> Survival of the fittest. The zombie apocalypse reaction. Yeah. Well, not zombie apocalypse, but we just open up society and the economy again and get things going and we just suffer the losses. I'm, I'm not, mate, I'm not suggesting that's the way to go, but it is a way to go 
and it it could be one way of cutting off an even bigger catastrophe, you know, and there's talk of herd immunity and all that. You know, I'm not an expert. I don't profess to be, but something's going to have to give at the end of this because the real danger it has always been that in adopting, you know, the, the, medi- the medicos, the doctors and all that, you know, they all have the most conservative approach to everything, you know. The, their whole ethos is do no harm. So they'll be shutting down everything and cutting off everything. That doesn't take into account the wider ways of the world and it doesn't take into account thousands, if not tens of thousands of years of human society existing through interaction. And in a few months, we're so supposed to suddenly say, no, well, you can't get together. Go on. Gary, one of the big thing I was going to say to Gary, one of the big things we've seen before is world wars and, and everything shutting down in and around to the war effort. But back at that time, sport wasn't professional. And certainly if it was professional, like, say, rugby league or speedway, it wasn't the same, um, you know, gross domestic product of uh, funding required for the outcome of uh, a sporting fixture. Well, the sport is is an in, in integral part of the whole industrial world nowadays, particularly with the flow on with TV and sponsors again. It all flows back, and I tend to agree with Mark to a point that maybe we lift restrictions and, you know, it's, I don't suggest that we do it, but if we did it, then we keep the, the economy moving because eventually if we don't, that uh, billion-dollar debt, the multi-billion-dollar debt that we currently have is just going to escalate. Yeah, unfortunately, the case studies on the herd mentality – have not been particularly good outcome-wise for, um, well, loss of life or even shortening the uh, length of interruption to business. If you look at Sweden, UK, who all went down the herd mentality, UK swung quickly around to uh, shut down and Sweden's gone that way itself, which are the two that everyone was referring to. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, aren't you, Gary? Because no matter what decision your fellow Shire man makes, he's going to be told he's making the wrong one. Yeah, you know, you're always going to have that problem too that if you you prohibit something that someone won't like it and they'll break out. We prohibition before World War II, um, current people sneaking in and out of states when they shouldn't be, not declaring their whole status. It, it'll always happen. So what do you do? It's its like we're at war, but there's no actual bombing going on. <laughs> but there is people dying as a result. Yeah. So, Gary, if, if we do uh, get to Darwin, get to Townsville, you're – a big proponent of having us run at Queensland Raceway and uh, even go for a run to South Australia if they'll let you in. 
yeah, track down, track back down from Townsville to QR. Could have it. John Tetley's already uh, said that he could hold the meeting next weekend if they needed it. And then, um, uh, then because he can't go back to Victoria, shift over to South Australia, and then back up to Bathurst. That would cover you. Well, folks, you got a great insight uh, in the last couple of weeks from Ryan Walkinshaw, I think, and also Tim Edwards on the toll and the cost of what the Victorian teams have been doing. It's huge. They're stuck away. The plan was to get them back after Townsville at the end of August or early September if they do a double here at Townsville. But that's looking increasingly impractical for the simple reason that with all the border restrictions, um, if the Victorian teams come back to Melbourne, as we know it, they'll never get out. So how do you get back to Bathurst? Well, they won't be able to work on their cars either because, folks, they wouldn't be considered an essential service and thereby wouldn't be able to prep their cars. They wouldn't be able to prepare themselves for the next event wherever it was. No, well, I think they can. I, I think they can get around that. The, the definition of essential services and car servicing and, and all that is, even here in Victoria, is quite rubbery. They can make do, except you know they, they just they're all the Victorian teams are away from their basic facilities, and eventually they're going to have to do an engine rebuild or a something rebuild. It, you know, it is a proper full blown nightmare that we're facing and you say that oh well, we go to Townsville and then we skip across the South Australia well there's no there's there's no expectation that they can just skip through to South Australia anyway at this stage and then where do they go you know I, I as you know I'm not the greatest fan of the administration of supercars but sincerely I do not envy them the task they're having at the moment in trying to juggle all this and get a season away, no more so than the AFL, which has been, you know, driven mad and inside out and the hubs they've set out or any of the other sports. You know, as I said, this is something we've never, ever faced, certainly in our lifetimes and, well, in living memory. I mean, you have to have someone who's like a 100 and something years old literally, who remembers the Spanish flu in 1918 to 1920, three years, when the world was shut down and 50 million, 50 million people died. But there's no institutional memory of that. No, and uh, that is, I think, equivalent, if not more, than what we lost in the First World War. Oh, way more. Way more, you know, and you know the the death toll in this COVID nineteen crisis is is horrendous and extraordinary. But in relation to the Spanish flu worldwide, it's nothing. So we have to put that in perspective. Of course, medical procedures and our ability to cope with it and all that is very different from now until then, and. Spanish flu, which didn't start in Spain, ironically, um, 
it happened throughout the world because of returning soldiers, basically. That's what spread it. But it was shut down very quickly because travel, international travel in those days, just well, was zero, essentially, compared with now. So it was able to be contained. And, you know, we will contain this epidemic. It's just how quickly we do it and how we do it. And, and, and you know, you've got to ask the question, how, how important is sport in all this? I know sport is important, you know, for the psychological well-being and people wanting to do things and it's a billion-dollar economy in itself. But in the big scheme of things, is us worrying about whether a round of this, that, or the other thing goes ahead next week? Is it, is it important important in the big scheme of things? I ask the question, and that's a fair question. That's a fair question, Gary, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that is the other side of the argument. Really, is it? Isn't it? You know how do we do we put sport up on that pedestal when there's so many more essential? Um, parts of the industrial world that, that should go ahead. And Mark might remember too that um, a later one that could have been a, a, a virus that could have potentially been very dangerous was the Hong Kong flu back in the late 60s. But fortunately, they got on to a vaccine for that very quickly and all they went around all the schools and vaccinated everyone almost immediately. So we were we were lucky we got away with that one. That could have been um, equally as bad as what we're going through now. Yeah, you're right, Gary. There is all that. But back in the day, to be fair, we didn't really recognise these threats. And a lot of it was just let to pass. I mean, even going back to SARS and MERS, there just wasn't the worldwide panic that we've experienced so far this year. Suddenly, this one has taken off like wildfire spooked the whole world, shut the whole place down and we're suffering the consequences. And I, I you know, I agonise over this every day, all day. There's no easy answer to the question of how we should tackle this. You know, this idea I said before, we just let it go and let it sort itself out and the people who die, die, and those who don't get on with it, which was kind of the way, you know, this is not the first pandemic, not the first plague we've ever had in human history. And, you know, hundreds of years ago, it was just left to play itself out. They took precautions, of course, that they knew at the time, but if it wiped out a huge proportion of the population, which many of the pandemics or plagues did, it was just accepted. And I, I have no easy answer. I, I, you know, you can just say, yeah, let it run its course, which is kind of what they seem to be trying to do in the United States. But <laughs> the result there is just the toll mounts and mounts and mounts. And, you know, I wish I had an easy answer. I unfortunately do not. All right. Moving along, I'm resisting. Do you want to have a happy conversation, dear Craig? Well, I'm resisting the urge to talk about this weekend's Darwin because it's going to be whoever gets up there and is the most prepared and the least shaken. We should have a happy conversation. So let's have a happy conversation. One thing that has been able to do whilst everyone's being homeschooled is 
people have been able to really think about how to make racing cheaper and how to make supercars cheaper. Gary, I was a long proponent of uh, the car of the future needed to be more like what we see in a NASCAR, a full tubular chassis that can be built up on a jig, slap some panels on it, um, work out how you're going to get the doors to swing and put in a, you know, put in a reasonable engine that everyone can afford and then open it up, sl- open slather. Um, dumb it down would have been the uh, way that uh, Mark Scaife would have said and we shouldn't dumb down supercars. But do we now, this far past the change, do we now turn around and say, we've got to dumb these things down? Uh, personally, I think they should just uh, take the arrow off the current cars and let them run a few more years. Um, because, A, who's going to have the what, – what do you do if your current car, if you're going to create something new for next year or the year after? You're better off just taking these cars and modifying such and going that way. That's my opinion. Oh, yeah. It's a no-brainer. Trans Am. $150,000 car. Simple as, fast as. You change the body panels, the shape, to suit whatever we want, which could be a Mustang, a Camaro, a Kia Stinger, a, you know, a kumquat delight. Who cares? Who knows? It's just staring you obviously in the face and there's this agonising over Gen 3 and how we contain costs and cut costs and control this and control, yeah. I'm sorry, forget all that. Car of the Future was a disaster. It failed by every measure. So get over it. Adopt a very simple formula where the you know the most important thing about supercars is retain the look. As long as whatever model variant you choose to straight the chassis in, as long as it looks like a faithful reproduction of the road car, you're winning. Everything else, who cares? Nobody cares. You know, even the most diehard fan, as long as it looks like a Mustang or a Camaro or a whatever, they're happy. Nobody cares about the widgets and the grommets and the gadgets underneath. So I would have thought it's a very simple solution to what you should go to in 2022 or 23, maybe if you delay it, because there is a cost to the teams changing. But if you're talking about a basic chassis, engine package that costs 150 grand and costs maybe, you know, max 20 grand a year to run. I mean, seriously, how could you say no to that? But that is exactly what they said no to last time. (laughs) There you go. But who was in charge and what was their aim and (sighs) crazy. And Gary, you know as well as I do, there were insidious, insidious influences to the whole process that just ran it off the rails, and that's why we got what we have. Cars that are more expensive than ever, more expensive to repair, and 
ironically, hardly any any faster. In fact, if they're ever faster at all, it's only because they get given soft tyres. Speed, to me, is an important part of supercar racing. Gary, is the speed of the cars, you know, whether they do a lap record or not, does that matter? Uh, don't we really want the ability for 10 of them to race nose to tail and have an opportunity of uh, making a move on pure driving efforts, not someone makes a mistake or they're on the tyres that dropped off the cliff two laps ago? You're not going to please everyone all the time. That's the first one we've learnt. If you have cars that all do the same sort of lap times, it doesn't matter how fast they are really, does it? But you'll always get the people complaining about the fact that, well, there's no passing because they're all doing the same thing. And then you go to the other point where you say, well, one car might be quicker in a straight line, but it's not as fast around the corners, but they achieve the same lap speed. That's great. And then someone will say, yeah, but oh, we need this for our car and we need that for that car. And you get back to that situation where you've, you know, you've got the people complaining about homologation, which is part of the reason why we got out of Group C and Group A to go down a formula, a five-litre formula where the cars would be uh, far more equal. And then we had dramas with cars with, you know, changing arrows on them to make them more even. Um, a, a big thing that they've got to keep an eye on, I think, going forward is that they've still got to have the r- red versus blue. If you don't have that, and that's what built the formula in the first place that we currently have. So with no Holden, Gary, who's red? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, 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 that's right. Well, do you bring in Camaros with PM or do you find another favourite Chrysler perhaps? Uh, you know, it, there may not be the manufacturer backing uh, going forward either, although Ford have put some dollars in there. But if you go down the British style of car, which is – a, um, a non-manufacturer backed, but still allows you the various different models. I mean, you, you still go to a racetrack now, like Bathurst, for instance, and all the flags are either Ford flags or Holden flags, aren't they? They're not flags for Red Bull, or they're not flags for Shell. They're they're Holden and they're Ford. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, that's that was a long time before the the real. Manufacturer war started. And therein is a question, folks. They want manufacturers, but they know that manufacturers only want to put a sticker on a car. They don't want to be involved in the car necessarily. But what about if we said to the importer, because as we know, we don't have any manufacturers here. If we said to the importer, you can actually run your own team. Your dealers can set up your team in your de- in whichever dealership you like and you guys can go for broke. Is that going to be something that's going to be more appealing than what we've been, f- you know, floundering around with for the last 10 years? No, not going to happen. Forget the notion of manufacturer support of racing as we've known it. It's gone. Dead possibly the only two categories that will retain major manufacturer involvement in world motorsport will be Formula One and, for a very different reason, Formula E. But in touring car racing, 
the days of manufacturers piling in with factory teams and homologation by whichever means, you know, it's changed over the years, but just not happening. They have other motivations. They have other priorities. You know, just staying alive at the moment is a main priority. So the days of the early to mid-2000s when combined, Ford and Holden were putting in a conservative $30 million a year, $30 million a year in supporting supercars. Gone. A tenth of that is gone. You know, Ford have, are putting some support, as Gary pointed out, into the Mustang program, but in real dollar terms, nothing. Holden's about to be gone. Whether we can get the Camaro up is the vexed question because what is the Camaro's future as a road car in America anyway and will it come here and will it be converted or will it be a factory right-hand drive, la, 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 la. I mean, it just goes on. So the formula has to be self-supporting, as Gary pointed out, like the British Touring Car Championship. They've evolved their own rules. I don't like the cars. They're too small, they're too insipid, but the racing is outrageous. And they're at the forefront. You know, BGCC next year, I think, will adopt hybrid technology as a boost to performance. Well, that's something we should be at the forefront of. And NASCAR is going the same way. NASCAR, you know, 10 years ago, was still running carbureted engines. So if NASCAR can get on board with hybrid technology, surely we can. So, But it has to be done in a cost-effective, independent ways because, as I said at the outset, the days of manufacturer largesse, gone. Never to be seen again. Don't shed any tears. Just get on with it. So... With that, Gary, you see so many of the other divisions as well as the top division of supercars. Is there a way that supercars can bring their price down enough that's... Oh, I think Mark summed it up a little while ago by saying go on Trans Am. There's 50 cars in the country already, so that gives you an idea of how that's grown. And, you know, it's affordable. There's two car teams out there already. Um, I'm sure that the likes of uh, Penske, DJR and, and, and Red Bull can uh, probably push out more cars if they need to, run three or four cars if, if they need to, maybe even have to um, work on your development series, which is at the moment Super 2, and um, it has certainly built that up as well and have a, even like a promotional relegation system because you're going to have so many teams wanting to get involved. And, folks, with supercars in such a state is, sorry, is the, is the current model of supercars? Yeah, that... that- no, I was just going to say, that, that's all very well. It's Ford. It's unsustainable. What Gary is saying is completely on point, um, except 
allowing all these other operations to get into supercars if it was so cheap and sustainable to do so would actually dilute the product and, in fact, wouldn't work because the top teams would always be the top teams. No matter how how cheap you make the cars in the formula, the top teams with the biggest budgets, like in any endeavour, will dominate. So the, the 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 enterprises like you know Sonic, who are very successful in Carrera Cup and other divisions and all that, you know, stick to your knitting. You make money out of the support categories. You're very important. You're very viable. You create a pathway to supercars. Stay with that. If you start aspiring to supercars unrealistically, you know, Gary's right. There should be some sort of exchange, a sort of promotion relegation system, Um, much like you had in Formula One back in the late 80s when, you know, a Formula 3000 team could aspire to becoming a Formula One team. Well, that did happen, and notably Eddie Jordan, but, you know, in modern history, you know, (laughs) forget it. You're never going to elevate from there. So you have to be careful about what you wish for because if you have too many people suddenly coming into supercars, I know it seems strange, but you can dilute the product. And, yeah, we're all pining for the days when you had, you know, 50 cars on the grid at Bathurst and all that. Well, yeah, that's all very well. But I'm sorry, in the last 15 to 20 years, can anyone complain about the quality of racing at the Bathurst 1000? I don't think so. So, you know, 20 to 25 cars is good enough. So at the moment, it's all about making the current teams sustainable because clearly they aren't. There might be one or two making money or breaking even, another that just has another business model altogether and and doesn't care how much money it generates. It's a business-to-business model. And the rest of them, I have no idea how they survive. And and supercars has been a conundrum for a long time in that how has it survived on on the economic basis? Doesn't make any sense, but it's been propped up by a lot of wealthy team owners, a lot of patrons, a lot of sponsors and all that. But, you know, these days that's going to run out of steam. So... Gen 3, in whatever form it is, just has to pull everything back to be sustainable and relevant and manageable, such as they're doing with Formula 1. You know, Formula 1 from next year on in 2022 will be a very different game with the cost cap they're putting on teams, which $145 million seems extraordinary, but compared with $250 million and $400 million dollars that the top teams are running on is is like a bonus and the smaller teams can get a run. So we just have to make this whole thing, I think, proportionate and then we all get on and we have a main category and we have viable support categories that do the job that they've always meant to do. They're not supposed to be stars. They're meant to be support categories. Mm. Well, Gary... Who is going to win 
And I don't mean which truck gets across the border first. Who's going to win at uh, Darwin? Do we think that we can see the uh, second race specialists of Brad Jones Racing perhaps pull one out in the first and third? Oh, yeah. He's got the championship wrapped up. Done deal. The issue in Darwin, given that it is uh, Hidden Valley Raceway, the high dig circuit, very exciting, one of the most exciting venues of the year. But my understanding, and, you know, movable feast, but my understanding is they'll stick, if there is a first round at Darwin with the uh, mixture of hard and soft tyres, so three hards, two soft, so you're going to be juggling them and the ones who squirrel their softs away for one race, We'll we'll pick pick up a win or a podium, and you know, I mean, you can see the intention there, which is to mix up the racing. And according to that intent, um, what happened at Sydney Motorsport Park Two worked exceptionally well. Now, is that in the spirit of racing and what purists want to see? Well, no, of course not, but. We'll see what happens at Darwin, if there is a Darwin, and then we'll go to the next event the week later, which is the plan, and my understanding then is that the plan is that there will be uh, everyone on one tyre. I presume it will be the soft tyre, and that will make things a little more even, and that still has scope for strategic manipulation, uh, as we saw it the first time out at Sydney Motorsport Park. Um, but just not not quite so, what's the word? Well, it's just, it's just not an artifact. You know, it's just, it's, it's not real. Well, well, it, no, well, it's, no, the, the intent to make it unpredictable works extraordinarily well, but for the wrong reasons. But, you know, the, the, this is the argument, you know, is it you and me talking, we're enthusiasts, we understand the game, or is it for the, you know, 200 and 300,000 odd people who just tune in on Foxtel? Yeah, on Foxtel, I'd be dreaming, wouldn't I? That many people. Anyway, the, the, the bulk of the TV viewers who don't know what it's about and just want some excitement, it works for them. So, it, you know, it's... But I think there's a balance and limiting everyone to five sets of soft tyres as they did at the first Sydney Motorsport Park, high dig circuit, like Darwin, probably is the way forward because it allows a little variation, but it doesn't skew things so badly that just people pop up out of the woodwork for no reason. And, you know, that, that that's not to take away from what, Jack LeBrock achieved at Sydney Motorsport Park, but I mean, seriously, all reality, when things were even, he wouldn't be in the hunt. Well, it depends how they how they manage the tyre situation, doesn't it? Um, you know, like running nowhere for two races, so you can put on a good set of softies for one race, doesn't really appeal to me. Um, perhaps mixing the tyres in the one race, and you have to have use both options if they decide to do that would be a far more uh, viable form guide. 
uh, you know, and the fact is that we really didn't know from the last race meeting who won the round until it was over. Um, but you couldn't go past Scotty McLaughlin at the moment. He's he's a cut above, isn't he? Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to uh, have a chat with you this afternoon. And, folks, we wish you all the best, being uh, the one that is suffering the most down there in Melbourne out of the three of us here on the show. Oh, I'm having a great time. Self-isolation. It was made for me. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Get to watch it all on television. But, no, these are trying times, and we've all got to somehow get through this and make positive out of it. I don't know how we do that, but we're going to have to because it's all we have for the time being. It seems a long time ago when they said they'd just run an E-series to fill in this short gap, Gary. Certainly did. Um, and while that was entertaining in its own right, um, some of the crashes were a little bit out of the ordinary, but apart from that, it was give us something to do while we could uh, sit there on a, on a midweek night and watch a bit of car racing and... Uh, if you've got twitch.tv going as well, you could uh, get some insight what the drivers were doing while they're running around, texting each other and having some fun. It, uh, it was good stuff. I really enjoyed that. Really? You really enjoyed yeah. that? I did. I yeah. liked it. Uh-huh. I... <laughs> did you? It just, it just it to me, reinforced, it reinforced how good real racing is. Well, we, we loved it when it came back, didn't we? It looked persuasive, you know, if you squint squinted slightly, it, it looked real, but the racing wasn't real. I, I'm sorry, I, especially old school, you know, racing is racing in the real world, not in the virtual world. I, I, you may be right, it bridged the gap for a while, but I think if you look around, you know, check out your social media. Is anyone bemoaning the lack of E-Series racing in the moment? No. Well, about half the drivers got rid of their kit before uh, the they were selling it before the, the end of the 10th race, weren't they? I think they found it was a little bit different between an actual race car. Well, it is what it is. That's why there's professional Daytona USA back in the, what was that, 80s or 90s? That was back in the pinball parlours, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> The only trouble with that was that if you were sitting there and you got in front, your your thing slowed down so everyone else could catch up again. Don't go suggesting that to the rule makers. <laughs> it's it's like a react reactive cruise mode. I've tried some high end simulators, and visually they are extremely persuasive. But if you're old school and used to driving by the seat of your pants, useless. It's another world. And that's why you saw from the results of the E-Series, essentially, it was the young, young bloke who'd be on simulators, give or take, over the years, who did very well. And, you know, the hard and real races, Jamie Wincup being the prime example, were completely at sea. Well, what does that tell you? Yep. It tells you that he didn't have a simulator before the E-Series started. That's exactly what it tells you. Yeah, but if you go the next step and you go to the top end one, like well, Macarage has got a very good sim set up. It has um, the option of paddles, sequential, H-pattern, all the uh, bumps and grinds of the actual track. And we we actually had pressure watching Jackson Evans at QR in a Porsche, well, a simulated Porsche, 
doing some laps there and every little bump, everything you can imagine about QR was in this simulator. The whole thing rocks around you. Um, I think someone who told me, Chris Merton, who raced in Super 3, said that he actually got much sickness out of it after he'd been sitting in it for a while. <laughs> That's how real it was. Yeah, and yet it wasn't. <laughs> well, on, on that positive note, folks, thanks again yeah, for joining us yeah. on Inside Supercars. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Gary, thank Lisa, you. Lisa, that's great, but I'll leave you with this thought. At least the crashes don't hurt. <laughs> Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.